see a victory. We're going to see a victory. God takes what the enemy meant for evil, and he turns it for good. I had a death sentence. He's turned it around for good. I have seen so many lives radically turned around. Jesus, Jesus, I've seen so many bodies healed, so many souls saved. The enemy messed with the wrong lady. That's all I have to say. Jenny had a marriage that was a mess. God took what was intended for evil and turned it around for good. They are amazingly healthy, loving couple this day. God healed it, and now she ministers to couples, to women specifically, all over the place. Sarah, you've gone through so much. You are ministering in the midst of the journey, all over the place. What the enemy intends for evil, God turns it around for good. It's not our battle, it's his. I have a, a, a encouraging word that I want to share with you before I start my teaching tonight. Last week, I, I shared this scripture, um, and I'm going to share it again, and then I'm going to share another word. The word that I, that I heard last week when I was seeking God, one word, was the word breakthrough. And when I heard that word, I, have, I love that word. I declare that word many times during prayer. But I had never looked in the scripture to find the word breakthrough, especially, specifically, Lord of the breakthrough, because that's what I declare. I say, God, you're God of the breakthrough. You're the Lord of the breakthrough. So I looked it up, and it is completely biblical. It's in the Bible. It's in 2 Samuel 5, verse 20. This is King David, and it's right in the midst of one of his many battles where he was being attacked. And this is what David says. He says, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. So that's what he claims. The Lord has, broke, has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, David said, this place I'm going to name Baal Perazim. And that literally means master of breakthroughs, God of the breakthrough. Lord of the breakthrough. So I wrote, this is my confession sheet right here, my declaration sheet that I am standing on right now. And so I declare this for myself. I say, Father, I thank you that you, God, have broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. So whatever it is that you're believing God for, whatever it is that you are in the midst of a spiritual battle for, devil's a loser. He's a defeated foe. We have a God of the breakthrough on our side. Here's another nugget. Jenny isn't here yet, but Jennifer Kirshner shared this after the meeting last night. In both the Old Testament and in the Gospel of Matthew, there is a genealogy. So-and-so begat so-and-so. So-and-so begat so-and-so. We all read those long, long lines, and we kind of skim through them, right? Well, there is one specific um, note in the genealogies that says, Judah begat Perez. Judah means praise. Perez is the same name, the same foundation of the word Baal Perizim that I just read, which means breakthrough. So praise begat breakthrough. 
praise gave birth to breakthrough. And today, as we were just praising God and declaring the victory that we have in him, that's setting the stage for the Lord of the breakthrough to break through here. Amen. So now listen to this, this additional word. So the next morning after God gave me this, I, was, I, I have a beautiful new devotional that I'm reading right now that's by the author of the Passion Bible. And I, if, if you guys know me, you know I love the Passion Translation. And this is the word, grab my glasses, little print. This is for, I've received it for me, and I'm going to declare it over you. Get ready to be undone. Completely and totally undone. Wrecked by my outrageous love that is being released in your life. You will be amazed by what I'm about to do for you. It's time for your giants to fall. I have heard your prayers. I have felt your pain. Though the enemy works to steal, kill, and destroy, my glory has made you strong. It's time for you to see what I can do. It's time for you to cross the threshold of opposition and step into the joy of the breakthrough. Now is the time. Now is the time to be joyfully expectant, to allow yourself to be filled with anticipation. Listen to that. Today, today's the day to be filled with expectation, anticipation, confidence. Anchor yourself in my promises, and soon you'll see the fruit of what I've already put into action behind the scenes. You will be astounded at the victory that I'm releasing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, I speak that declaration alive into our lives, into our hearts. I pray, Father God, for hearts right now that are stirring, that are burning, that are yearning for the life of that prophecy to be fulfilled within us. The victory, the breakthrough, the uh, coming out of opposition and into victory. God, you are the God of the breakthrough. I declare it for everyone that is here. You are the God of victory. And with all my heart, God, I'm excited. I am excited to see that breakthrough unfold in front of our eyes. So God, we welcome you. You are here. I don't need to invite you in. You're just here because you're in us. And I thank you for that. But Father, I pray that we are aware of your presence. We are aware of your love. We are aware of your great grace and your power here in this place tonight. We love you, Lord. Have your way here tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Come on in, Jen and Jamie. That's the girl I've already mentioned twice tonight. <laughs> I was telling him about Judah and Perez. That's just amazing. And then that, that that I just read is out of the devotional that you gave to me. Yes. Oh, God, you're so good. So is there anybody that doesn't have a handout for tonight? Do you have one? Okay, just making sure because some of you guys don't know they're even there. Jenny will go grab some, in case you don't have one. I am teaching the fourth part of a series. All of our teachings, with the exception of the Bible study, all of our teachings are always posted on the website for free. 
and they're usually posted on Wednesday. So if you would like to go back and listen to the first three parts of this series, it would be amazing, um, and it would all fit together. Because what I'm teaching about are the spiritual laws of the kingdom. The spiritual laws of the kingdom of God. Because that's where we live. That's where we abide. Colossians 1.13, this is good news. Colossians 1.13 says that we have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the power and dominion of the enemy. We're no longer under the power and dominion of the enemy. We've been translated, transferred into the kingdom of God, into the power of the son of his love, into that place of Jesus. Jesus is our king. We're in the kingdom of God. Jesus is our king. We're his subjects, and he's delegated power and authority to us. It was stripped from the enemy. It says in, um, oh, I don't remember the exact scripture reference. It's in Colossians, but it says that he was um, stripped of his authority to accuse us, that he was disarmed, that he has no more power over us, but he's still in the world. That's the problem. I wish God would have just gotten him the heck out of the world, <laughs> but he didn't. In fact, it says in, this, in the Bible, Jesus is even praying in John 17, that beautiful prayer that he prays the day before he dies. And one of the pieces of that prayer is he says, Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I am asking you to protect them from the evil one because the enemy is still in the world. So here we are. Jesus is our king. We live in the kingdom. The kingdom is in us because the presence of God is in us. The kingdom of God is among us as believers. And what I'm teaching right now is the government of the kingdom, the laws of the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God operates, and it's all really good. But here's the key. The laws of the kingdom don't control us because we have a free will. God has given us a free will. But in order for us to benefit from the laws of the kingdom, we need to cooperate with the laws of the kingdom. I'm not going to do a review of what we've talked about, except last week's. We talked about the law of sowing and reaping. The truth, according to scripture, that we will reap what we sow. Seed always produces after its own kind. If we plant a crop of corn, we're going to reap a harvest of corn. If we plant seeds, corn seeds, we're going to reap a corn crop. We're not going to reap tomatoes we, because every seed produces after its own kind. So we talked about the importance of the seed that is being sown into our heart. Whether it is seed that is good seed, seed specifically of the promises of God, or whether we're really feeding on seeds that are, and that are negative, that are um, uh, seeds about the problem? Are we, are we feeding and consuming and thinking and meditating and talking about the pain and the problem and the setbacks and the issues of life? Because those seeds, we are giving life if we are sowing them into our heart. So we talked a lot about seeds and harvest. But here's what we're going to go tonight. We're going to talk about the time between the sowing of the seed 
and the fruitful harvest. Because as we sow the promises of God into our heart, whether you're here, uh, that's, my God, that's my passion, is to sow truth, to sow good seed into your hearts. But just like a farmer, when he sows seeds, he doesn't see the harvest immediately. There's a time frame. So today, we're going to talk about a specific spiritual law that addresses this. And the title that, that I'm using is The Law of Active Pursuit and Perseverance. So first, first of all, really good news. Because of grace, our vertical reality is the fullness of our inheritance. Our vertical reality is every promise in that word is our inheritance. That's reality. Healing. I'm going to teach you all about that the week after Labor Day, that healing is our inheritance. Healing is part of grace. Of course, forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. Remission is actually a better word. Because remission means sin has completely been eliminated. Our spirit is made perfect. And because of that, that perfection of our spirit, we've been reconciled unto God. And we can come face to face. This is all part of the vertical reality that we live in as children of God. Completeness in our spirit, our soul, and our body. I think this is the thing that just caught me off guard when I received Jesus as my Savior. I didn't realize what I was missing until I had it. I didn't realize that there was something missing, that I had a hole. I've heard it's defined as a God-sized hole in your heart, and you don't even know it. But after I received Jesus, there was just a completeness. Not that everything was perfect, because it wasn't. I still had stage four cancer. That wasn't very perfect. I still had, you know, um, a lot of what I call weeds that were still in there, and I still do. You know, we all are always weeding out lies, weeding out wounds, weeding out hurts, weeding out yuck. Just living in this world kind of puts a lot of yuck in there if we let it. So when I came to know Jesus, all of a sudden, all of that was secondary, was not even really important. And I literally, I can't believe I can say this, but I can, with absolute truth. I walked through that season with cancer, with the most joy I've ever had in my life, with the most fulfillment I've ever had in my life, because God was in there. He was carrying me. He was walking with me. So completeness and soundness in your body, soul, and spirit, that's part of your vertical reality. Strength. Joy doesn't even make sense. How you can be in a position of, of um, anticipation for good in the midst of a crisis or in the midst of a trauma, traumatic time of your life. But with Jesus, you can because it's part of your vertical reality. Now, here's what, where I want to go tonight. That's your vertical reality. It's who you are in Christ. But that might not be what you look like horizontally. You may not be looking like you're complete. You may not be feeling like you're in peace or joy in the midst of a burden, in the midst of a trauma. Because we have a free will to accept and agree with the promises of God and to cooperate with the laws of the kingdom. And that's what we've been talking about over the last several weeks. So let's get into this law. And I'm going to give you 
biblical, everything I teach, lots and lots of scripture, because I want everything to be based on scripture. And then we're going to give you practical steps to take to walk through your journey with active pursuit, with persistence, with faith and endurance. So let's go right to the word. Here's a statement. It's on your paper. And that is that ongoing pursuit and persistence of the kingdom of God in your life is critical. Because if you're not pursuing God, if you're not filled with perseverance and patient endurance, instead of moving forward, you're going to move backward. There's no standing still in the kingdom of God. I, for one, want to constantly be pursuing God. Listen to these scriptures. I got three or four of them that give evidence to what I'm just saying. The first one is Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Ask, and the gift is yours. Seek, and you'll discover. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. Do you hear maybe in there or if you're good enough? No. It is absolute. Ask, and you'll receive. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For every persistent one will get what he asks for. Every persistent seeker will discover what he longs for. And everyone who knocks persistently will one day find an open door. So today we're talking about active pursuit. In this scripture, there are three words, ask, seek, and knock. All three of those words in the Greek are written in, I want to get this grammar word right, present imperative. In the Amplified, they use the word asking, seeking, and knocking because it denotes persistence. It denotes pursuit, active pursuit, constant pursuit of the, the promises of God. And this is how I see it. It's not begging. It's not pounding on the door of heaven. No, it's pursuing the promises. So they, they come deeper and stronger and stronger and stronger inside of your soul. So when a farmer plants a seed, he does more than plant it. He fertilizes it. He waters it. He um, puts pesticides on it to get rid of any disease or any pests. And he weeds it. Because weeds can take the life from the plant. They can take the nutrition from the plant. I believe as we are persistent in our asking, in our seeking, in our knocking, that that's what we're doing. We're watering the word. We're fertilizing the word. We are saying no to fear, no to symptoms, no to the enemy's stuff that he keeps trying to attack us with, getting those weeds out, getting the pesticide all over it, getting the pest away from us. That's what persistence is. And, and this is a beautiful scripture to show us that. Here's another one. Mark eleven twenty four. I love this account in the Bible. This is the account where Jesus talks about speaking to the mountain. I love this. This is a word that I declared when I was fighting cancer, and it was a good word. I, uh, the Bible said, Cindy, you tell cancer to go, and it's going to go. You tell cancer to go, and you believe it in your heart without doubting. Watch that cancer turn and run. So believe me, I declared this word a lot. The next verse, verse 24, says, 
Jesus is like wrapping up his little direction to us. And this is what he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So this is what I want to point out. Jesus tells us that whatever it is that we pray, when we pray, believe that you've received them. When you pray, not after you receive it. He says, when you pray, believe that you receive it. And a better um, a translation of the word receive is believe that you have taken it. Now remember, healing is already, or anything that you're believing God for that's in his word, is already your vertical reality. So when we pray, God says, believe that you have taken it. It's yours. Jesus already paid for it. The work is done. Believe that you have taken it. You have in the spiritual realm when you simply believe. And then you will have it in the natural realm. Believe that you've taken it in the spiritual realm because it's yours. It's your inheritance. God wants you to take it. And then you will have it in the natural realm. Jesus has already provided everything for us that is promised to us in his word. It's part of our inheritance. We obtain our inheritance by faith and patience. We're going to go there today. We must claim what belongs to us as our present possessions before we see them. That's faith. Faith is believing before you see it. Faith is not depending on your senses, your seeing, your hearing, your feeling, your, your understanding. Faith is believing without your senses. Faith is believing with your faith, with your believer. Hebrews 6, verse 11 and 12. I've got two more scriptures about persistence. Hebrews 6, verse 11 and 12. But we long to see you passionately advance until the end, and you find your hope fulfilled. So the author of Hebrews is praying for the Hebrew people. I, when I read this, this is my heart. This is my heart. And Lord, I just speak this over you and for everybody that's listening to this, this audio tape or videotape. I pray from my heart that I long to see you and me passionately advance until the end and find your hope fulfilled. When I'm declaring this, when I'm praying this, what I'm envisioning is that you advance to the fulfillment of the desire of your heart. That the promise that you're standing, believing God for, is fulfilled in your life. It's not just a faith statement. I believe it and then I see it. It's the seeing part, the manifestation part. I long to see you all. That's what's such a joy about this ministry. Because that's what we get to see. That's what we get to see. We get to see people falling in love with God and falling in love with his promises and taking them, seeing the results. So don't allow yourselves, don't allow your hearts to grow dull or lose your enthusiasm. The word in the, New King, the Old King James, the King James Version, for growing dull and losing your enthusiasm is the word slothful. The scripture says don't grow slothful. 
slothful, just sitting back, giving up, not actively pursuing or not persevering. Don't do that. That's the warning here. Don't allow your hearts to grow dull or lose their enthusiasm. But instead, follow the example of those who fully received what God has promised because of their strong faith and patient endurance. Because when you sow that seed, and then you water it and fertilize it and weed it and give it pesticide until you see the harvest, and it's a good one. But there's patience involved. There's endurance, and there's active pursuit. The law of active pursuit and perseverance. The next scripture that I'm going to share is the scripture that I share all the time with people who are in the midst of their journey. They believe. They've fallen in love with the Lord. They know Jesus. They know his amazing word, his amazing love. They haven't yet seen the manifestation. This is the scripture that I share with them. Do not, therefore, fling away your fearless confidence. That's your faith. For it has a glorious and a great reward. For you have need of patience, endurance, to bear up under difficult circumstances without compromising, so that when you have carried out the will of God, you may receive and enjoy to the full what is promised. What is carrying out the will of God? It's agreeing with him. Carrying out the will of God is believing him. There is a scripture, and I can't give you the verse, but there is a scripture that says, this is your work. Believe. Simply believe. So the will of God is to believe, to agree with God, to accept his grace. He's got this precious gift already purchased, already wrapped, ready for us to take. But he's not going to force it on us. He wants us to take it, to receive it. And we do that through faith. And then, yes, endurance, patient endurance, and active pursuit. I would like to show you a contrast right now between this passivity and pursuit. I would like to give you biblical contrast between being slothful in your spiritual walk and following this spiritual law, cooperating with the spiritual law of active pursuit and perseverance. So the scripture I'm going to read that really um, shows us a picture of passivity or slothfulness in your spiritual walk is Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30 and 31. I walked by the field of a lazy person. Now again, in the King James, that word lazy is slothful. I walked by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense. I saw that it was overgrown with nettles. It was covered with weeds, and the walls were broken down. So there is a, a, a garden that hasn't been tended. The seed was sown, but then nothing else was done to feed that seed, to nurture it, to water it. Then I looked and thought about it, and I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, 
a little more slumber, a little, a little folding of the hands to rest, and then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit and scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Now, I know this is very specific about just plain old laziness, but let's apply that to spiritual laziness. When we sit back, this is the way I see it. Many of us, unknowingly, we sit back passively and wait for God to do a work that he's already done. He's already healed. He took those stripes on his back 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago. He doesn't step forward today to heal you. He already healed you. It's our part to receive the gift that's already ours. So passivity is one who sits back and does nothing actively in their walk of faith. They sit back and wait for God to do something he's already done. And the result is poverty. Let's talk about poverty. I'm not even talking about financial poverty. All that's one way that we could sit back and, and, and waste away when God has a better plan for us. But what about poverty in, in health? I don't want poverty in health. I want richness in health. Poverty of soul. Our mind, our will, our emotions being beat down, cast down, depressed, oppressed. That's poverty of soul. Poverty of relationships. Relationships that are broken. Relationships that are dead. Relationships that are dull. Relationships that don't have any... Um, love or joy, poverty of relationships. What about poverty of communion with God? He's made the way for us to be face to face with him, but it's our choice. Just like all of these are our choice. And we can be a child of God and yet have poverty of communion because we're not communing with him, because we're not coming into that place of his face-to-face -face relationship with us. He's there, but we have a free will and free choice. I don't want to live in poverty. God made me to be a king's kid. I want to live with the richness of being royalty. It's ours. It's, it's our vertical reality. But in order to live that way horizontally, we need to make choices to Believe it, receive it, accept it, and step into it and act like that's who we are. So let's look at some scriptures now about active pursuit. Matthew 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, until today, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault, and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. So let me break this down a little bit. First of all, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are interchangeable terms. They mean the same thing. Many times one author of a gospel will use the term kingdom of heaven and in another a gospel account sharing the same account, just a different parallel account, it'll say kingdom of God. So they mean the same thing. So this scripture is saying the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault. Now, first of all, like I already said, we've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God. But the enemy is still prowling around like a lion, 
seeking whom he may devour. That's 1 Peter 5, I believe it's verse 8. So that's where we live right now. We've been transferred into the kingdom of God, but the enemy's still prowling around, and boy, is he trying to destroy, steal, kill, and destroy. Every sickness, every pain, every um, lack in our life is the enemy trying to assault the kingdom of God. He doesn't really care about us as individuals. He cares about the kingdom of God that's in us. And he knows that if he can take us down or break us down so we're not living in the fullness of life that Jesus came to give, then God's not glorified. Then we are not advancing the kingdom of God through us. We're just standing still. The enemy's having his way. Nobody's seeing Jesus in you or through you, or in you, or with you. But Sarah, on the other hand, and Jenny, and a whole bunch more, Pat, and Dorothy, and Mary, so many, Julie, you ladies, you guys, you're the second part. You're the violent ones. Seizing the kingdom of God by force as a precious prize. That's what God's called us to do. This is the law of active pursuit. Now, let me ask you a question. If you, how many of you are parents? Okay. If there was a snake in your house and your kids or your grandkids were in your house, what would you do? If, now, unless it's a poisonous snake. It's not no pet snake. A poisonous snake gets in your house and you got kids and grandkids in there, what are you going to do? You're going after it. You're going to get a weapon. You're going to kill that thing. You're not going to fool with it. I, I'd call Kent first. Uh, that's what I do. But if Kent wasn't there, I'd go after it. That, think about what we do when we have evil lurking in our body. Do we accept it? Do we sit back and say, okay, God, I'm waiting for you to take care of it. Because if that snake was in my house, I wouldn't be sitting back and saying, okay, God, I'm waiting for you to take care of it. No, 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 no. Because he gave me authority. He gave me power. He did everything he's going to do. And he expects us to take a step and go get that weapon, which is the word. Go get that weapon, which is our authority and our power, and tell that thing to get out. I was with my daughter-in-law and her family a couple weeks ago. Kay, my daughter-in-law, you guys that know me know this amazing daughter-in-law I have. She is a powerhouse woman of God. And we have two grandkids. And one day she went into her garage, and there was a snake. It was a poisonous snake in her garage. She lives in Nevada. There's poisonous snakes, and there's black widows. And believe me, this mama does not fool around with black widows or poisonous snakes. So when that snake, when she went outside, and her kids are old enough now, they can go outside and ride bike and stuff. So she doesn't want no snake in that garage, right? So she went out, and when she saw that snake, she got violent. And she, the first thing she did was started screaming at that snake, telling it to go and using the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, get out of my garage. And she was screaming at the snake. And she went and got a rake or a shovel or something, and she's pushing it out, getting it out of her garage. She was so violent that the neighbors heard her. And they came over to check on her and say, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? Are you okay? She says, oh, yeah, I'm okay. There was a snake, but it's gone now. 
she was not going to let a snake that could hurt her children anywhere near them. That's the position God wants us to take. We are called. We, we have, we're equipped. We have what we need. We're equipped. But it's up to us to use the weapons of our warfare and to take action and not, not to sit back with passivity. When I teach my study, one of the big questions I address is the why question. The why question. If it's God's will to heal, why do people die? If it's God's will to heal, answer that question, Cindy. Well, I do answer it. And I don't have the whole picture. But one of the keys is exactly what I'm talking about now. We have a part to play. And if we sit back with passivity, we're probably going to receive what the enemy is trying to do, which is stealing, killing, and destroying. Because God's done everything he's going to do. And we have a part to step in and to actively pursue our God-given right, which is healing, and anything else that's a promise in the word. Listen to this scripture, Romans chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. Let this hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in time of trouble, but commune with God at all times. That last sentence is key. I mean, the first part, it sounds amazing. And we all want to be that first part. We all want to be the boiling hot ones. We all want to be the ones with hope and joy that just, no matter what we're going through, that that's how we feel, that's how we act, that's how we live. But sometimes that doesn't, that's not how I feel. That's not how I act. That's not how I live. God says, Cindy, when you're down, when you're feeling disappointed, depressed, confused, don't give up. But commune with God at all times. It doesn't matter what you feel like. Show up. It doesn't matter what you feel like, especially when you're feeling low. Turn on that victory song and start praising God that you are victorious in him. Worship, worship, that's a huge weapon. Remember, Judah begat Perez. Praise begat breakthrough. Don't give up when trouble is trying to attack you. It's the enemy's tactic. This is a good strategy. When you recognize that the enemy is attacking you, laugh at him. Laugh at him. Because you have authority over him. Your roles have been reversed. You don't need to be afraid. Take authority. Step up. Laugh at him. He usually turns and runs the other way when you laugh in his face. Listen to this scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. We're talking about active pursuit right now. Always doing your best and even more than is needed. Being continually aware that your labor, even to the point of exhaustion in the Lord, is not futile nor wasted. It is never without purpose. 
when I started reading this, because what I do when I study the word and prepare is I read lots of different translations. I open up Bible Gateway, and I, I know the scripture that I'm looking at, and I read it in New King James, and I read it in Amplified, and I read it in the Passion, and I read it in the Amplified, and I read it in the NLT. And then I, I say, which one is the clearest, God? Because I love to be, I love clarity and simplicity when I share God's word. And when I read this one, it was like, oh boy, I don't want people to get into a works mentality. I have to do, you know, even more, even more, even more. But I don't think that's what this is saying. I think what this word is saying is whatever we do, do it with all your heart, with excellence, with a, a, a desire to please God. I know, um, I know many people that, that give so much of themselves. And it's a gift that you have in here. It's, when I'm talking about giving, it's not, it's not works. It's something that you are called to do. I'll give you an example. Alice is our baker. She loves to bake. And she, this lady right here, raise your hand, Alice. She made those carrot cake cupcakes. And if you haven't had one, you better get it because they are amazing. She loves to bake. And she has this ministry she calls Seed and Feed. And as she cooks, she prays over that food. It's just a ministry. She loves to do it. But let me tell you, she gets tired. She gets exhausted. When she made those cupcakes, she made six dozen, you said? Six dozen, and then she gives them away all over the place. That's a lot of cupcakes, especially when you're making them from scratch, right? And, and really good frosting, too, by the way. That's her ministry. Jenny, her ministry is inner healing. She spends hours and hours and hours in her ministry room, in her home, praying with people, ministering to them, letting the Holy Spirit guide and lead. And I'm presuming sometimes she works to exhaustion. Kent and I, we're in the middle of a move right now. We're moving out of our house next week. And we're, um, we're, we're building a new home that's not ready yet. So we're in between homes. And we're going to be with Kent's mama for a while. And let me tell you, I'm tired. I'm physically tired. But the Holy Spirit is here. And this is what Kent and I have recognized over the years of our ministry, is that when I am the least able on my own, that's when the anointing is the is the, the, the most. Because I don't have to do it. It's him through me. So that's what the scripture is saying. Pursue him. In your bent, in your gift, in your love, whatever that is, pursue him. And that leads me to the next point, which is, this is where we get practical about steps to take in that harvest, in that time between seed time and harvest. What do you do to keep, to keep it, to, to be steadfast, to be persistent, to be um, patient? Well, the key is your focus. Your focus. Where is your focus? I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 12, I believe. Yeah, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2 say, or verse 1 says, As for us, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. 
And then they're looking at those witnesses to help them to know what to do and how to do it. Well, they're talking about, remember Hebrews 11? The, the chapter of faith where, where the Bible talks about all these mighty men and women of faith and their actions of faith. We can read ch verse, chapter 11 of Hebrews. That's a great chapter to read and meditate. But we can also look right here. We can see we are surrounded right here with men and women of faith. Men and women who can minister to you and stand with you and love on you in the midst of your journey. And here's some, here's some strategies. So we too, just like, our in, just like our cloud of witnesses, we too must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin that we so easily fall into. That's another whole teaching. Letting go of past, letting go of hurts, letting go of woundedness, letting go of bitterness that you may have held on to, letting go of other sins towards you, forgiving them and letting them go, letting go of your own mistakes, your sin towards others, letting go of your sin towards yourself, where you're beating yourself up. You're not loving yourself. You're not, you're seeing yourself as unworthy or not good enough or, or inferior. All of that stuff. Wipe it away. Let it go. But again, that's another teaching. That's part of my Bible study. Then, then, when you get all that garbage out of the way, we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination. That's active pursuit. For the path has already been marked out before us. But verse 2 is where I really want to plant ourselves for a minute. Look away from the natural realm and fasten our gaze onto Jesus, who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. So we're going to talk about what that means. What does it mean to look away from the natural and to look at the spiritual? In another translation, it says, look away from everything that will distract and fix your eyes on Jesus. We're going to talk about that in a second, but let's look at Jesus' example. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation, and he now sits exalted, at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus fixed his gaze on the prize. He fixed his gaze on what his sacrifice would purchase. He didn't put his, his gaze on the actual sacrifice, on the, the flogging, on the crucifixion, on the ridicule, on the being separated from his father for three days. That's not where his eyes were. His focus was on the prize. His focus was on what he was going to accomplish through his death and resurrection. And it even says in here that he did it with joy. He didn't suffer with joy, but his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. His focus was the joy of knowing that he was making the way for us to be saved, for us to be reconciled unto God, for us to be wiped free of sin, for the barrier to be removed so that uh, forevermore his children would have the potential to be 
re reunited with him and to be forever with him. Go to the next slide, please. So consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners who opposed their own souls so that you won't become worn down and cave in under pressures. So in order for us to stay strong and not to be worn down and cave in under pressures through the healing journey, perhaps through treatment, perhaps through pain, perhaps through financial issues or whatever is in the midst of your journey, here is a powerful key, and that is to look away from all that will distract and fix your gaze on Jesus. The word look in this scripture, this is in your notes because this is key, underline it, go back to this, think about it, meditate on it. The word look doesn't mean for me to just use my eyes and to see something. It's much more than that. This word look means to turn your eyes and your mind away from everything in the natural realm, from everything that would distract, and to fix your eyes on Jesus. So you're turning away, you're turning your eyes and your mind, your thoughts, your meditations of your heart away from everything in the natural and fixing your gaze on Jesus. It was a choice. And it's not always easy, especially when your body is screaming loudly with pain or with symptoms or whatever, or doctor's reports have just been told to you, or there's a, uh, you got to go for a treatment. And when you're in treatment, it's kind of hard to think of Jesus. Well, we have a choice, and we can. This is a beautiful analogy, or a beautiful picture, I guess is a better word, of what that, what that looks like. My eyes and my mind are in my middle man. It's my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions. I would like you to picture with me, as, my, as I extend my hands, two sides of the story. On this side is Cindy and everything in the natural. So in this hand is every situation. Right now I'm busy moving, so that's in this hand right now. But everything else, anything that's going on in my body, anything that's, you know, uh, concerning to me is over here. Another thing that's in this hand is Cindy's works, even works of faith. Looking at myself, at what am I doing? What am I not doing? Have I had time to do praise and worship? Have I, you know, been reading the Bible, etc.? That's all in this hand. Cindy, my natural life, and yes, even my works. In this hand is Jesus. Because the scripture says, turn your eyes and your heart away from everything in the natural. Turn your eyes and your heart away and Fix your eyes on Jesus. And when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, it's important to see him. To let your heart and your mind see him. To meditate on Jesus. On what he did for you. And I'm not going to take time right now, but when I'm home, I do. I meditate on his compassion, on his love on the stripes that he took on his back for me. 
on the death that he died when the nails were piercing his hands, when he was lifted up and he couldn't breathe, and he literally suffocated. I, I meditate on that. I meditate on the joy that he was seeing, which was my salvation, my healing, my wholeness. I meditate on th that Jesus literally was separated from his father, and he went to the underworld. He went to hell, and he stripped the enemy of his power and authority. And then he was risen from the dead, glorious. Our salvation had been purchased. I meditate on Jesus. I meditate on the finished works of the cross. And this is what happens. If your eyes are on Jesus and his finished work of the cross, faith rises. Faith rises. He's the author of our faith. He is the developer of our faith, the maturer of our faith. He's the finisher of our faith. He is the result. He is our faith manifested, Jesus and his finished work. And when we keep his, our eyes here, our meditation of our heart here, our faith grows and grows and grows and grows. But if our eyes aren't on ourselves, if we're looking at our own works and thinking, am I doing enough? We're looking at the wrong person because it's not about our works. It's about his works. Now, those things that we do, reading the word, worshiping, turn our focus to Jesus. So they're good. But if we've got a checklist, a to-do list, and we think if we don't do our to-do list, we're not going to get our healing, then our faith shrinks because we're just never going to measure up on our own. But boy, does Jesus measure up on his own. So that is a powerful tool. Where is your focus? Galatians 6, verse 9. Don't allow yourself to be weary or disheartened in planting good seeds. And I even want to go so far as to say in watering those seeds, in nurturing those seeds, in weeding that garden. Don't grow weary. For the season of reaping, the wonderful harvest that you've planted is coming. The season is coming. That's an encouragement. And, and this, whole, this whole session is intended to encourage you. The seed, if you've, if you've been sowing, it's in there. We're watering it. We're nurturing it. We want to agree with you. We want to pray with you. We want to lay hands on you. Oh, yeah. The promise is your season of reaping is coming. But it does give us a warning. It says, don't allow yourselves. So we can allow ourselves. The scripture says, don't. Don't allow yourselves to be weary or disheartened. You know, in the, in the medical world, there's a test that many of us have either had or we've all heard of it, and it's an MRI. An MRI in this medical, the purpose is to look inside your body and see what's going on. And then as a result of the MRI, you either get a good report that all is well or a bad report and a diagnosis or at least points to a diagnosis. Let's talk about a spiritual MRI. A spiritual MRI. And it's dependent upon your focus. If your focus is on the negative, the problem, the pain, 
the research, the doctor's reports, the treatment, um, etc. If that's your focus, that's not good. That's like a bad report and the MRI because you're feeding the negative. You're sowing seeds for the problem. But if your focus is on Jesus, like we just talked, Jesus and his finished work, Jesus and his love, his compassion, his great grace, it's already been purchased for you. If that's your focus, that's a good report. That's an amazing spiritual report with amazing spiritual results. And that's what this says. The season of reaping the wonderful harvest you've planted is coming. If you don't give in to being weary or disheartened, but instead you choose to keep your eyes on Jesus, your life will follow your focus. Pastor Tim says, whatever you focus on the most will predominate in your life. So I'm going to read one more, one more set of scriptures, and it has to do with the word wait. Wait. The biblical word wait, I love this. This is so cool. I just learned this about a year ago. The biblical word wait doesn't mean what we do in the grocery store lines or what we do when we're, you know, Kent says, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. You know, you go somewhere and you just have to wait. And it's just time and you're just wasting time. That's not what God's de definition of wait is. The biblical word wait is quava, Q-A-V-A-H. And it means to be entwined together with God. When you're waiting with God, when you're in this season where you've sown the promises in your heart, you're watering them, nurturing them, asking, seeking, knocking, but you haven't yet seen the harvest, you are waiting. You are entwined with him. Listen to this. Waiting on God means binding and connecting our hearts to who God is and to his promises. The Hebrew concept of waiting on the Lord is never, a pass is never passive. It is never passive, but it is active, full of hope and expectation. I speak over you right now. I speak that waiting time is amazing. This is what happened during my journey, and I never let it go, and I won't let it go. When you're entwined with God, Sarah, you're in this right now. When you're entwined with God, it is not a negative thing because there's just life in that. There's life. There's strength. We're going to look at scripture that shows us that with this waiting comes strength. With this waiting comes renewed power. With this waiting with God comes courage and bravery. It's all part of being entwined with God. And you aren't downcast and disheartened. You're literally built up and strengthened. And it's like you've got this superpower that you don't know how in the heck it got in there. It's for you. It's the word. I'm going to show you. Okay, here we go. Isaiah chapter 40. I love this word. Verse 28 through 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. Think about creation, guys. Think about how amazing it is. That's our God. He doesn't grow tired or become weary. 
There's no searching of his understanding. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who has no might, he increases power. Now even youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. I believe verse 30 is referring to those who are doing it the world's way, who are not entwined with God. They're doing it the world's way, on their own strength. That doesn't work very well. Let's go to the next verse. But those who wait, that's quava, those who wait for the Lord, who are entwined together, connected with God, who expect, look for, and hope in him, will gain new strength and renew their power. They will lift up their wings and rise up close to God like eagles rising toward the sun. They will run and not become weary, and they will walk and not grow faint. See yourself as eagles soaring above the problem, on the, the, the wind of God, uplifting you, upholding you above the situation. We don't need to be pressed down like the world does. We're living right now in a crazy world. We don't need to look like the world right now. We have another option. We can soar like eagles and grow strong and not grow weary. Wow, sounds like it's raining. I think so. I don't think that's the air conditioner. That's loud. <laughs> okay. I've got a couple more scriptures about waiting. Psalm 27, 14. Here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting. He will never disappoint you. The next scripture, Psalm 31, 24. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for and confidently expect the Lord. So we're going to be brave. We're going to be courageous, not on our own strength, not on our own ability, but through God in us and through us. Psalm 130, verse 5. I will wait patiently for the Lord. My soul expectantly waits, and in his word, do I hope. Do you hear that? Not just the rain. <laughs> Go ahead, Holy Spirit. You're welcome. Just rain down in this place. You are welcome. It's talking about his word, his promises. Let that word encourage you, strengthen you, build you up. And I'm going to close with this scripture, Psalm 62, verse 5. I am standing in absolute stillness, silent before the one I love, waiting as long as it takes for him to rescue me. Only God is my Savior, and he will not fail me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's our God. 